morning, friends. We are gathered here today for another episode of Coffee with Friends. And I'd like to, before we begin, give you this disclaimer. As always, Coffee with Friends may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream upsets you and causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. And as always, you may cease listening until you're able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Lizzie. Lizzie comes from the UK. Good morning, Lizzie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I'm a, I suppose you could say I suffer from, but I don't. It's a condition. It's not an illness. Cerebral palsy. So would you say you live with cerebral palsy? Kind of like how I live with CPTSD. Yeah. Okay. There are other things that go with it as well that Mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily think of. So you'll get exhaustion, so you could be fatigued. You'll also have, um, with my with my one, I have two different types of cerebral palsy. So I have a taxic, which means that you're, um, you have um, tight muscle tone. So they're not, as, they're not straight. You, your legs don't straighten out properly or your arms don't straighten out properly. It could be that any, it could be anything like that. It could be your toes, it could be your fingers, anything. And I also have spastic form, which means that you spasm. That doesn't sound very fun. No. At all. No. So is this like an acquired condition caused by something or is it a genetic condition? It's actually, well, there's various reasons. Why is it can be done? It's negligence on from the doctors during the birth of the child to the child. It can be a nothing, just just something happens. Could even be a, a stroke when the mother's pregnant with the child, so the child can have it from the stroke that it's had in, in its mother's womb. It can be an accident when the child is not old, but it's it's the starvation of oxygen to the cerebellum in the brain, which is. The situation so it's similar to a stroke in the form of some of the problems but not all and therefore it comes across as we can be walking like we're drunk if we are walking if we're able to walk if we're not we're not you know we're in a wheelchair or whatever so it's like that as well and others can't even speak so that's, a, again, similar to another one, which is lockdown syndrome. So it can have varying effects, right? Yeah. And it is just kind of on a spectrum. Yeah, on absolutely. how much it impacts yeah. your yeah. ability to function. Mm-hmm. Because it takes three times as much energy for anything to be done for us. For the people with the disabled with this condition, there is 
roughly about 15 million, 18 million maybe, even more, in the world completely. So it's one of the four biggest conditions that we that is known about, but it is not talked about enough. So why do you think it's important to discuss the lived experiences of cerebral palsy? Because it gives the people who don't experience it the the knowledge, the understanding that they need for people who need who have the condition. Even doctors don't know everything about the condition. And, um, you know, it's still perceived as a child's condition when in actual fact it's a lifelong condition. Are you, are you saying that people... Um... People believe that this condition is um, only active while you're a child. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Like, like that's that's kind of insane a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, yeah. Because. My understanding, cerebral palsy has always been a, a chronic condition. It's not like it's it just goes away, you know? No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't go away. I've also had people say, is it contagious? So, like, people are afraid of you because, yes. like, yes. oh, my God, if I mm -hmm. talk to that person, and yes. that's really, how, how does that feel when you experience that? horrible but i've had it for so long now that i sort of ignore it i laugh it off even though actually really no it annoys me because there's so much ignorance for the world in the world of any condition not just cerebral palsy but i use my my condition as my voice to talk about other conditions as well to help them so that everyone else has got an equality form as well. You know, um, it reminds me of like the way that sometimes people look at being different as less than. Mm -hmm. If you're autistic, yes, which I, I was diagnosed several years yeah. ago as autistic. Yeah. yeah. And when you're autistic, there's people who look at me and they say, well, you host a podcast, so you couldn't possibly be autistic. There's people who look at me and say, well, you hold a job, so you couldn't be autistic. Yeah, exactly. There's, this is where, this is where this we is, have issues. It, it, it's like this thing of like, there's people who say, well, you know, it's, if you can hold a job, you're not really autistic, if you know it. And you're not really disabled. Uh, but in, are in they the ones? Yeah. Are the ones they the ones who yeah, live yeah. with the functional effects? Yeah. The executive functioning dysfunction yeah, that I have from being autistic? Saying they don't know. They don't understand the condition. You know, I literally, it was just before COVID, I'd gone into the gym to do some exercise a dance class actually and an elderly woman said is it contagious 
as oh I said. I was like, no, I was born with it. It's just unbelievable mm-hmm. the amount of misinformation mm-hmm. and the other part is is that you know that being different doesn't make you any less than no but that's what i want to that's what i want to show as well it doesn't mean that we're any different to anybody else mm-hmm. i mean i've written as i said uh i didn't quite say to you at the beginning i've actually written a, three poetry books as well regarding the cerebral palsy and depression so they're on amazon to get hold of do you have links to them you can send to me in the prayer yes chat. i will do i will do okay I'll, I'll put them on the videos yeah but i love poetry i think it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly simple but it was it was cathartic for me because it was getting rid of some of the depression regarding the condition writing about how I felt with the condition at the time, earlier on in my life, now, I'm nearly half a century old, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I go, yeah, whatever, I don't care anymore, but there are still issues that will niggle at me and that will crop up. Oh, it's like you can't really... You, you don't just get rid of it. You learn to live with it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and it can change year to year, day to day. Because, um, and season to season, all of which I've mentioned in my blogs as well, my blog posts as well, early on about it. Um, I'm slightly pivoting in my blog with what I like being and how they've, how certain things have made me grow as a person with the condition. But early in my posts, I've been talking about how, what types of um, cerebral palsy there are, because there's actually four main types. There are, you know, it's, there's lots of little snippets. They're not in depth because I'm not there to give all the medical jargon. I'm there as a support group bouncer to say, okay, so this is what I've got or someone else I know has got this mm-hmm. and they can learn a bit from me and then go on to someone else who will give you more better jargon if they want to know the better jargon than, than I have for it mm-hmm. because I'm no doctor. Because sometimes the way that we talk about what we live with varies greatly from the way that medical professionals understand and Mm -hmm. communicate because it's almost like there's a separate language. That's why when you start going in the medical field, you have to take actual classes on medical terminology. Yes. I mean, I know the basics. Like, for example, I know most... Uh, bone structure for myself and I know that also with the cerebral palsy because of the the amount of wear and tear because of the amount of energy used that actually my bones and my muscles wear quicker so my body my skeletal, uh, skeletal changes will be quicker so for example if as I, um, as I said I'm near nearly 50 
So my bone structure and my muscle structure could be someone who's 70, mm-hmm. 80 years old, not someone who's my age because of the amount of energy I've used up over time. So that's a thing that seems like it can really affect your quality of life. Yeah, it can. I mean, there are so many people who have it and have achieved amazing things. Um, I'm going to give you an American comedian, Mason Zayad. She has it. Mm-hmm. She has cerebral palsy. She and I follow each other on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, and Instagram, She follow, you know, I follow her as well. Um, and she, you know, you know, that's someone who's got it who also uh, RJ Mitty, who's in um, Breaking Bad, he's got it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to think, okay, that's two different people on your side of the world who are, who are famous who have it. There is also, I don't know the child's name and I don't know the actor's name for it, but it's in 911, the American mm-hmm. series. And there's a, the cat, the child is called Christopher in the series and he has cerebral palsy. So it's being recognized slowly, but it's not being recognized enough. Same with any condition, I think. There need to be better conversations about medical conditions, yes. especially the ones that are lifelong, so that we yeah. understand better how, you know, how to manage it and yeah. some of the differences. Like, you know, it it's really what I'm hearing says to me that you're able to sometimes, like, depending on where you fall on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless, like you're allowed to have a healthy, like happy, full life. It's just difficult and it has challenges that not everybody might experience. Yeah, that's right. And you're different in that way because sometimes we need support and resources that other people don't need to accomplish tasks in life or goals in life. That's right. But it also doesn't mean that you're any less capable of making decisions about your life. No. And I think that's been another thing that's come up before. You're disabled, you're you're an idiot. And people tell you where to go, what to do, Mm -hmm. who to talk to. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, it's infantilizing. Yeah. I mean, I can say, okay, have you heard of Botcher before? I haven't. Right, okay. Now, I know <laughs> uh, one of the people I speak to quite often, he's he's actually kind of a, a mentor of mine, actually, is actually David Smith, who happens to be Great Britain's number one Paralympian for Botcher. So he, yeah, so you can say, okay, Okay. Yeah. You don't need to be, it can prove, he's in a wheelchair. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's just something that you wouldn't expect someone like that. And I'm saying that blindly as if to say, oh, no, can't be that. You can't do that. You're, you're in a wheelchair. But actually, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah, absolutely. And you've also got the wheelchair sprinter, Hannah Cockcroft, mm-hmm. Paralympian. She's got cerebral palsy too. Mm-hmm. So you've got so that's two sports sportsmen, sports people, sports people, yeah, who have cerebral palsy. In the UK, we have a number of comed- two comedians again, Rosie Jones, who speaks differently mm-hmm. because she ha- and she walks funny, like I do. Because of her mm-hmm. cerebral palsy. So when she's tired, she's in a wheelchair on an electrical scooter, depending on mm-hmm. what, what she's doing. But when she's on stage, she's walking, she's talking. Mm-hmm. And there's, I can't remember this guy's surname, but he's called the Lost Voice Guy. And he's actually a comedian. He's got cerebral palsy and he uses the talk machine that Steve, um, Stephen Hawking used. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there you go again. You've got someone who, okay, that's ALS for you guys, but over here it's um, motor neurone disease. Mm -hmm. And he's in a wheelchair, and yet he was a professor Mm -hmm. and a doctor of whatever science that was he was doing. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So that's a different disability altogether and right up until the end he was doing what he loved the most Mm -hmm. you know that's what i i want to prove i would like that the world have have to see this more of a quality and yet there isn't enough yeah anywhere and it doesn't matter what color you got what color you are what race religion whatever it can happen to you there's no boundaries. No, absolutely not. So what is the single biggest barrier that you have experienced? Or is there a single biggest barrier that you've experienced? Oh, that's a complicated question. Because I was taught by my parents, there's no such word as can't. Mm-hmm. You have to get around things, yeah, sure. But you can always do it as long as there's a way. There's always a will. There's a way. Okay. So I endeavour to do as much as possible to fulfil my life. So talking to you actually is one of those dreams that are helpful for me because it's bringing more conversation out for cerebral palsy so yeah but you know it's i'm not sure the figures is in america but it's one in four children in the uk alone have it that's a lot yeah that is a lot of people Mm -hmm. that's in the uk alone and that's just the children 
and there's roughly That's about it. yeah and there's 60 million roughly about in this UK, in the country i'm not sure of the figures directly so if you think one in four and how many are adult there's a lot that's a lot hidden. yeah and it's still hidden Mm -hmm. still hidden because in the past we were put away into homes into nursing homes we were to be shunned and it would be the same in America any disabled person would have been put into a home a nursing home or some kind of home where they were supposedly looked after or weren't looked after because you were to be hidden so, yeah we were different well that's not okay no it's not we do have a comment i'll just read it to you okay i have somebody um marlene says two of my twin cousins in the pike mennonite or some buggy mennonites have cerebral palsy they are my age so we grew up playing together it seems as if the family expected them to do all things as they are both still working, but neither married. I'm curious as to what the speaker thinks I should ask them the next time I'm with them. If you have thoughts. Okay. I was very lucky to meet my husband who happens to be able-bodied. but he has dyslexia. So he's different in that respect. We have children who are quite, quite normal, as they would say in England, quite normal, able-bodied. Out of the two of them, my daughter was born with telepies, which is like clubfoot in America, and her feet were turned in because she was at the bottom of the, of the two. And so I worked very, we worked very hard on her using the same methods that I was taught as a child to do with physiotherapy for her feet. Mm -hmm. And she has, okay, slightly weak ankles, but you can get weak ankles anyway, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. What, um, but she's, she's going to college. She's got a job as well. No, they're, they're teenagers starting mm -hmm. their own careers as such, you know. And so she's, yeah, she's, other than that one major issue when she was born, it's, she's fine. So basically... To be clear, like what you were talking about club feet and working and doing all of that, physiotherapy, mm. all of that, um, you know, people can get weak ankles. I actually, like, I people can get issues within their bodies from various things in their life. Like, yeah. it, it can happen. You can acquire conditions. Yeah. But just because you experience an injury or you experience a medical condition doesn't mean that you're incapable of living a life after all of that. Exactly. And, and it's the same goes for her, the, the, the cousins. They're working. They're doing an amazing job. Remember that. They are, actually, they are doing things that 
a lot of people wouldn't expect them to do. They'll be stuck in a home, looked after by carers, not able to do anything for themselves, no freedom, nothing, because they wouldn't have been expected to do anything. Whereas their parents had the courage to fight back, teach the children as they were growing up how to do things, get around things on their own, do things on their own, work, do things. You know, things might be a challenge, Mm -hmm. but it can be done. And regarding relationships, that's an odd one because it doesn't really matter. You could be gay, straight, whatever, rainbow, whatever. I don't I don't care. But it doesn't matter where you are. You could be lonely or you could have someone. So if you're disabled, it shouldn't matter either way. Because it's the person inside the body as the spirit should be the one that's more important than, say, the shell, the shell of the body. Who you are matters. Mm. Yeah. Who you are matters. Mm, exactly. Not what you are or what religion, what colour, whatever. For me, that's not the issue. I think sometimes people get all caught up in like specific if they see if they can see the physical disability mm-hmm. people get caught up in that and I don't think it's necessarily a good thing no it's not I mean we have all got ribs we have all got backbones we've all got legs arms yes they might look different but they are there we've still got the bones and the muscles okay they might be different too sometimes depending on what you know and if it's an adult or even now i think i'm not sure if it happens still but if you're born different with say with one arm one leg or you've for example you have you going into a into the sea and having a um surfing and you get bitten by a shark and you lose a limb. That's still a difference. That's still a disability. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll get people who will not, um, who will teach, treat them differently to what they expect as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll even turn people away who have been their friends when they had two legs or two arms but then turned away when they have one arm, one leg. That's so messed up. Mm. You'll find that in any disability. And I just want to show that we all have a voice. Yeah, we do. And like one of our listeners says, Hinda, I have a chronic illness and I work drive dated the first thing i had to do was establish a routine for myself creating my new normal what was best for me and my needs do you think that is something you also do that is what you have to do if you don't you're not gonna you can't function because you'll be striving to be what everyone else wants you to be and you can't be you 
you can't be true to yourself. And I've learned that the hard way too. Yeah, many of us have. Mm. We we learn how to yeah. figure out, like how how to figure out our life, and you know, make it make sense for us. Like, yeah. how does this work for us? Yes, exactly. So it's it's important that you stretch things out. That you go, okay. Um, it might be that you can go out once or twice a week, but you can't go out the rest of the week, and you need to do work from home. Wow. Or you could do. You know, it could be anything, any way. You you have to plan your day routine. People say that on the fly, you know, fine. That's if you're not neurodiverse in any sense. But if you're neurodiverse in any case, with ADHD or whatever condition you've got on top, you you can't. You need organisation. So... Um... One of the things that I've frequently experienced is that for me, I I work a full-time job mm. and I, uh, I do what I have to, to survive. Yeah. But, but when don't... I leave that full-time job, I'm pretty much done. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's like a shorter day, a longer day. It does not matter. When I leave that job, I am done. Yes. It is not very often that I will find a way to be able to socialize after work. No. I don't have the space. I barely even have the space to eat dinner after I worked all day. Yeah, you were, and um, I often would say something for that. I would counteract that with by doing something like having a shake as you walk out the door afterwards. Say, so okay, I'm too knackered to actually cook dinner. Have a shake. Have something prepared ahead of you to do that. So you could switch it so that if you're having a a meal in the morning, a proper full time meal in the morning, and then a your normal lunch at lunchtime, depending on what your routine is, you make your day is your day. It doesn't matter where where your twelve o'clock is. It, so if you're doing a a nine to five, okay, so you're up at seven or six or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you're going to bed at twelve hours later, fourteen hours later, because you've got a, but you've got to space your. There's a way of we call I think I'm not sure if the Americans do it. It's called spooning. So you wear <laughs> yes, yes, you can think of it like but if you if you've got half a sugar, half a spoonful of sugar to get dressed, half a spoon a spoonful of sugar to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. So it'd be a spoonful or half a spoonful. So we nicknamed it spooning. So you know spoon what, theory. Yeah, the spoon theory. Yeah. And it's it's a great way around it. So my levels today haven't been too bad. I've been I've got my say my 20 spoonfuls of sugar and I'm probably gone through half today, which isn't too bad. Well I'm I'm acquiring my spoons today. The spoons that I have today, they're they're acquired. By the cups of coffee that I drink, yeah, usually. 
That's been my whole life, kind of how I functioned is the amount but of then coffee. If you, uh, as you say, you've got ADHD or forms, and natural mm -hmm. fact, your coffee settles your brain. It's self-medicating it. Uh-huh. So that's how it works. If you're on coffee or Coke or anything like that, that will settle your brain. It calms it down. Whereas if you weren't to drink it, you'd be all over the place. I feel like the world is ending. That's how it feels. Mm -hmm. If you're right. not organized and you can't organize yourself when you're not focused and you can't focus. So I find that I have to have a routine no matter what. And people do disrupt it. And it drives me crazy. You know what my favorite is? What? My favorite is the work workplace. When you're in the workplace and you have a calendar schedule and then like you have management who legitimately sits there and one, they send out a meeting invite with like two hours to spare to the meeting before they even announce the meeting. Two, they don't even give you a topic of the meeting. Like, hello, can we communicate? There is can no communication. Yeah, so there is no communication for anybody. You're expected to live off the fly, and you can't do that. No uh -huh. one can really do that. And, and it doesn't matter being whatever condition. And when you ask for accommodations, you're told, oh, we, we can't really do that. Yeah. And that, is, that is really hard. That is so hard. I call baloney though, because you can do that. You can give a meeting topic and you can announce the meeting more than two hours prior yes, to the meeting. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. That is you making stuff it's, up. It, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, I mean, here in the UK, there are, there are businesses who do not follow the rules regarding the disabled because they will just, they say, oh, we know we won't give, we, they'll say they will do it, but they won't do it by doing, by us of helping the person who needs a particular item mm -hmm. to work. Like someone might need a, a, a new, a specific type of chair or a desk mm -hmm. or something. And they will say that. <laughs> Thank you, Regina. I see that. Um, so yeah, you know it's you, yeah you get it you get it anywhere, but I'm not sure what the American system's like. But over here, it, it's supposed to be law. It's disability law that companies are meant to accommodate, and many don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can see that one, Marlene, as well. Marlene, I'm pretty sure my mind went where yours went, straight yes, to the gutter. That's yeah, what happened. Went that way too. But no, it yeah. It is it, it, it's it's a common say it's a common saying, sort of like a spoon it's like it's like Mary Poppins says, a spoonful of sugar will make this medicine go down. Mary Poppins. A spoonful yeah. of sugar will make the medicine go down. Yeah, um, Hinda also said spoon theory. You you only have so many spoons each day. You allocate yeah. your activities to how much energy it takes and what you have, which is yeah. true. Okay, 
But that is not what I thought when you said spooning. That is not what I thought. No, I confess. No, I know. Everyone, everyone goes down the other <laughs> way, down the, down the rabbit hole, shall I say, and that's another one. But, you yeah. know, that's that's how you... Yeah. But that's how you accommodate things. You have to... You have, you have pavement. We have, you know, you you have garbage can. We have dustbin. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Mm. Can we just talk about an English breakfast versus an American breakfast? Yeah. All right. Tell me what's the typical English breakfast. Well, if you're going for a, it depends on what type of English breakfast you want, because it there can be there's a couple. Oh, do tell me about them. Okay, so you have a porridge, so it's oats made up as porridge, and then you'll have that with milk and sugar or honey or whatever, and you'll have a you can have a coffee or a tea, and that'll be one breakfast. Okay. You can have your tea, your toast, jam, orange juice, tea, coffee, whatever. That'd be another English breakfast. Mm-hmm. But if you're going for the full English, which is how it mm-hmm. started, would be sausages, bacon, eggs, baked beans. And the eggs might be scrambled or poached or even fried. And then you'd also have tomatoes and mushrooms. And depending on where you are in the country, you may even have black pudding. Yeah. Which, so, is, which is like, um, it's similar to haggis, but it's a sausage. Mm-hmm. And that's fried as well. And that's a full fried, in, that's, everything is fried. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, I will vouch. That's equivalent, I would say, to your Americans and bacon and maple syrup and your pancakes. Well, see, when I was in London, I had that. I had that with the baked beans and all the things. I didn't have the black pudding though. No, but I had everything else. Yeah, and then we had some tea, some proper tea. Yeah, like that was great. Yeah. But typically, like what I grew up eating for breakfast would be like cereal, like we would cook oatmeal, but we would just say it's oatmeal. We wouldn't call it porridge. Yeah. Uh, and and then we would season it with like raisins and, yeah. and cinnamon yeah. and spices yeah. and yeah. eat it with yeah. milk. And, yeah. But that's, is, that's more of a, a lot of it's done in Scotland quite a lot, I think. More, yeah. more than it, because of what, how it was how the country was built in a way that um, they were classed, and I'm saying this horrifically, they were classed more as working class, whereas the people down here where I am were classed as middle class and upper class. Oh, my God. You know, I'm sort of in the, not in the middle, I'm in the southeast of the country. Gotcha. So we would be classed as the middle class. So we're not royalty but we're not you're not the lowest of the low you're not not yeah and that's what i'm saying and that's how that 
I perceive how the countries that were treated back then and how technically in the politically and I'm going to say this is going to upset a lot of people that it's still treated that way uh-huh. still is treated like that over here yeah yeah I mean sadly far too much of the world has relied on systems that are hierarchical and yeah. even you know different classes of people classifying people's value by how much money they have or exactly. you know um, what type of genetics were you born with? What kind yeah. of family did you come from? Did you come from a good family or did you yeah. come from somebody who, you yeah. know, grew up in the dredges and yeah, survived things it? that you can't even fathom happening because it offends your sensibilities to consider it happening? Yes. And this is where you get the, the shame of people saying things like when my husband and I started dating Dating, going out, whatever. So you're talking nearly thirty years ago now. Um, in my day, people like her would be put away, you know. And that's what that, this old lady was saying to a friend of hers in the street. Mm-hmm. And my husband wanted to turn around, and my husband turned around and said, "Um, what like you now? She's got four. She's got A levels. She's got all sorts of stuff you haven't got." Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. going back to that like how do we treat people in america with disabilities so we do have the ada americans with um disabilities act we have the english equivalent yeah we we do have laws about it yeah but then as i was saying to you earlier a lot of the con- businesses won't accommodate even the big ones don't accommodate with seats or things. I mean, I'm not saying who because I don't know who anymore. I will say that when I was 16, that I was training to be a administrator mm-hmm. and a very big charity, worldwide charity now, said I was a liability because of my disability. They told you that? Yeah. The actual audacity. Mm-hmm. I always want to be surprised, but you know what surprises me most in the world? When people are kind. Yeah, I get that. Genuine Um, kindness surprises me more than it does. This, I just feel like it's the human animal is a terrible. I just want to punch people in the face when they say things like that. I just like. I mean, that is horrible. Yeah. Why would you say that to somebody? Why would you even think it? I have no idea. Yeah. So, um, Hinda says. It's getting organizations and businesses to actually follow the ADA here, too. Yeah. Well, you know, once we have the laws, like people always say, oh, well, if you don't like it, change the laws. Okay, so if we have the laws and you don't enforce the laws, then what's the problem? Yeah, and and that's the other issue is a lot of people 
don't enforce them, whether they're within the company. And this is when I will turn around and say, well, this is where disabilities in all forms need to be heard because we're not heard. Yeah. Read this comment. My mother-in-law is a disabilities attorney. So we have to have disabilities attorneys. Yeah. And, and I would love to step into her shoes when I grow up. She is an amazing woman. She's fought insurance companies, federal government, etc. But I just want to point out, we have to have disabilities attorneys. Why do we have to have disabilities attorneys? Because people think that they're not capable of fighting for themselves. And yet you'll have people who are in a wheelchair who are attorneys in America or solicitors over here. Mm-hmm. And yet we're still expected to treat them like idiots when when they're not. I, I think the dehumanization, the infantilization, the assumptions sticks yeah. out to me. Because when you start talking about how like people just automatically assume, people automatically assume based on your diagnoses, you're going to meet inside of this box. They have this mm-hmm. very narrow idea of like mm-hmm. where you're supposed to be. And, um, and I'm going to say that my daughter and I went to go and see Barbie the other week. And before the, the film, I went to a local cafe area and I needed to go to the loo. But I was in my motability scooter mm-hmm. because I can't walk far. Uh-huh. So as I um, so I had to, I popped my scooter outside and I did my waddle into the, into the toilet to do my thing. And my daughter got complained about, uh, moaned at, why does she have a mobility scooter when she can walk as maybe, well? Yeah. Maybe. It's not your business. And maybe people's private medical information is their own business. Yeah, and that was a cleaner. That was a cleaner at the complex where the film was being played. And they had also locked the disabled loo. So even with a disabled key, which we call radar keys over here, they were it was locked so i couldn't have used a disabled loo in any case again <laughs> the humanization the mm-hmm. oh well you don't look like you have the disability i think you should have to access this loo that's yeah. that's basically it and for those who don't know the loo is the bathroom yeah um but even even though you have done all the things, you have the key, like you can't access this because I've decided mm-hmm. in my infinite wisdom that I know more than your doctors, I know more than all of your providers, your medical providers, and I, as a lay person on the street, have decided mm-hmm. you don't deserve resources or access to accommodation i mean luckily i could go into a lady's 
bathroom, WC. But God forbid it being someone who's in a wheelchair. I mean, if it was somebody like I have a friend who gets around in a scooter in public sometimes. And if that was her, like, you know, she the what with her disability that she lives with, like she she. I, I think about this sometimes. What makes people so horrible to one another? I don't know. I think it's the ignorance that they are brought up by and brought up with by the pe the pe the people behind them. And I'm going to say again with like the ozone layer, we're going to be confronting that oh this that condition now planet wise, but. Yes, it's also our, all our faults, but it's also the predecessor's fault as well. Because you think about it, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, what were we doing? What were we doing in, in countries? Polluting the air. Okay, we didn't know. But, but now we know. Now we yeah, now it. we know. Now we should be doing something more about it. And Go we should be fixing it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so no matter what the problem is, there should be a way around it or a way to fix it. Well, I do have Hinda in the comments talking about um, they are not to ask the nature of your disability or medical condition. You don't have to explain yourself to them. I, my All you have to is I am disabled and I need this accommodation. That's it. So if you're in America, that's to my best understanding, hashtag not a lawyer, not a, not an attorney, but to my best understanding, like it is not only not their business, but it's also like if somebody asks you, you it, they're not supposed to ask you what your disability is. No, they're not supposed to either over here. They're not supposed to. Yeah. But you still get it. Or they treat you with the ignorance. And mm -hmm. there's a... And post a, a t-shirt that was done decades ago by Anita Roderick when she owned Body Shop which said if you think education's expensive try ignorance <laughs> and I thought that was so bloody apt then and I still think it now it's so on the nose. It's like right there. Yeah. It's just like, if you think this is, yeah. yeah. Because like. And that was a brilliant t-shirt from Anita Roderick when she was yes. the head of body shop. Because one of the things is, is that, you know, when people fail to understand that what they're doing is actually inherently like harmful. Mm. And not only is it harmful, now it breaks the law, right? So now it breaks yeah. the law, and they're still doing it. Yeah. And you'll get the same thing for a Karen. For, I'm going to say the Karen attitude for someone who's got a wheelchair, who's got to have a, this parking space over here, as you do in America. Unless you can be seen with a disability, you're not entitled to that seat, that space. Yet, there are so many hidden disabilities on top of, you know, MS, cerebral palsy, um, things like that, that can be done. So, for example, you've got 
a, a couple, one of whom who has epilepsy, but their partner doesn't. We but they're entitled over that. here to have a badge in their car that says, yes, they can park in a disabled bay when they're with their partner. And yet they can be seen walking around normally. And people will judge them for having a dis not having a disability, thinking they haven't when actually they have an, a neurological, again. You know... Uh... I have two brothers that passed away. Oh, you poor thing. They both, uh, it's okay. But they both uh, had grand mal seizures. Oh, gosh. The entirety yeah. of my life. And the way that I saw people treat them. Yeah. The inhumane treatment of people who don't necessarily have a visible disability breaks my heart to this day yeah we need to stop pretending that we can look at a person and tell everything about them you can't it doesn't matter that's why i treat everybody the same i will i'll be going down the street on my mobility scooter and i'll smile and i'll you know if they're going to smile back they're going to smile back but if they don't they don't not a problem they're worried they've got their own problems Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, like, as we begin to wrap this up, like, one of the things, like, sometimes we talk about problems because we need to establish that the problems exist, right? Yeah. And in order to actually address problems, we have to know that they exist. But the stereotyping of people who live with disabilities, and quite frankly, y'all, I, I don't like the term um, person with autism. I am autistic. I am queer. It is what it is. Okay. Yeah. Like those. And I live with CPTSD. That's, there's a difference in yeah. those things. Like for me, it's, I prefer to be called autistic. I don't like, to, I, I, it literally hurts I mean, my brain yeah. when people refer to me as somebody who lives with autism like that's or that yeah this is the it yeah. it hurts my brain yeah it drives me nuts absolutely nuts i you know i have yes i have cerebral palsy that is my main condition then secondarily i have endometriosis on top of that mm -hmm. so that's another complete condition uh -huh. on top and I then on top of that i also have arthritis and because of the cerebral palsy and the endometriosis, I have clinical depression. And then I also have anxiety, general anxiety disorder uh -huh. on top. Because sometimes we have comorbid conditions mm. that exist alongside, like, 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 like yeah. that. Like, yeah. like I have CPTSD. My first diagnosis was CPTSD, like leg legitimate chronic PTSD. I have complex and chronic PTSD, and that is something else. I don't wish it upon anybody, no. but that is not something. Maybe I was predisposed to it because of genetics. Who knows? I don't care. It is not a genetic condition. It is no. indicative of what was done to me and the traumatic events that the I environment experienced in you were my in life. Growing up, and unfortunately. 
But later on, I was diagnosed with hypertension. Yeah. There are various members of my relatives, various members of my family that are all diagnosed with hypertension. Okay. Very interesting to me. But I digress. Could be genetic, could be not genetic. I don't know. I'm not a, a genealogist. I don't know all of those things. I mean, medically, it looks as if it could be, but you can't say yes and you can't say no. I, I don't I mean, know. Exactly. You could, Unless it's, I mean, if it's, yeah. gen, it's, it's possibly a genetically, you're predisposed for it, but you may not get it. You get the, there's a saying that it runs in the family. So yeah. it might be, it might but not. I don't know. And then I was later diagnosed as autistic. And the thing about being diagnosed autistic, it told me a little bit more about myself. It taught me, it allowed me to have the space to explore like, what resources do I need? And it was the single most helpful diagnosis that I ever received because of that. Yeah. But when it comes to being autistic, that is something I was always like that. Hmm. It didn't like it that's didn't just come that's, on. That is being neurodiverse, and the same. Right. Thing, I mean, but then again, they're saying normal. What is normal? We've so each the got spider different color hair. We've each got different color eyes. We've each got. So what is normal? What makes somebody normal? What is, exactly? And, and you know what's normal for me could be completely abnormal for you and vice versa. It may be normal for me to get up and before people talk to me, I have to consume my cup of coffee so my brain can sort itself out. What may not be normal for you is getting up and consuming a cup of coffee so that your brain can sort itself out before people talk to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, that's the thing. And it's okay for either one of us to navigate the world that way. Yes. But also, if that's what we need, then we also need to have the resources to have that. Uh, yeah. And, and a we lot deserve of the time, that. A lot of the time, even in America, because I had a long, long time ago, I went to America. Um, some of the pavements were great. Sidewalks, as you call them. But some weren't and the same goes mm -hmm. here and i'm and i have to judge things because when i at that point i was walking a lot and i was thinking okay now what the hell is going to happen say in 10 20 years time at that point i'm going i could be in a wheelchair luckily at the moment i'm not but who knows the next 10 years down the line i don't know no one knows what the disability is going to throw at me not even the doctors know, because it depends on my lifestyle, depends on what I want to do, you know, depending on every atom of the being that you are or, or I am. So it has to be individualistic, but there has to be accommodation for certain things. For example, pavements, sidewalks, whatever, need to be sorted out so that there mm -hmm. is enough space for wheelchairs to drop down. Think about it. You're a mother. 
with a push chair. Mm-hmm. You're walking down the street and you've got a crossover. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've got traffic lights. Mm-hmm. But you may not have a drop down curb. And you've still got to drop the children down in the in the buggy, push chair, yeah, onto the road and lift them back up again on the next yeah. side. And that, depending on the what size buggy you've got, what side of you know what weight it can be, because buggies alone can be really heavy. Mm-hmm. When I was carrying the twins, the the. the buggy I had was 16 kilos alone mm-hmm. so you think of a child's weight on top of that and the weight mm-hmm. of car seats so if the mother's pushing that or pulling that up and down the pavement what would it be like for a wheelchair because they're not just pushing baby weight in the wheel in the buggy it's a human it could be the adult weight uh-huh. so you've got to think well okay I'm what over 12 stone in a wheelchair and a wheelchair roughly weighs roughly about 10 kilos eight you know five stone mm-hmm. so you think okay so it's 17 stone i'm pushing along if i'm doing a wheel push along wheelchair so you're going to yeah. try and lift yourself up onto a pavement you know how are you going to do that You know, how are you going to be able to navigate through the world with a world that is very unfriendly to you and very unreceptive and lacks the spaces for people like you to even exist? Yes. So that's where the questions are all coming up. Mm -hmm. And I just think, well, you've got to make the, I've got to. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to say these are the problems from my point of view as a disabled person. And I'm not seeing it just from my point of view as a person with one particular disability. I can see it from different types of disabilities because some, you know, you've got people who've got MS who are in a wheelchair, who are in a scooter, and they're still finding some of the same problems that I have. Uh huh. So traveling, buses aren't always great. You know, getting on the, in the in the car and stuff like that. You just know. Also, how much would a car cost for you guys in America if you have a disability? It's a little bit easier over here because we have a, a system where they actually su- you supplement it with a disability allowance, but. Um, the cars alone can often be astronomically costing on top because mm-hmm. the cars aren't geared for a disabled person. They have to alter them for a disabled person. Because they have to. Mm-hmm. So you might not have the hands, but you might be able to use your feet or you can use it vice yeah. versa. And that costs more money. Yes, it absolutely does. And they, they don't. We don't always have the money. We don't. We do not have the finance to do it. Well, how are you supposed to have the money when, first off, like you might not even be able to have a full time job 
Exactly. I will be honest, like it is hard to have a full-time job and be disabled and and live with something like live with a disability like that. It is hard. Hmm. So as I'm going back to the spooning energy side of things, you've got to work out what you're doing, when you're doing it, and organizing your life around literally everything. Where are you going? What you're doing? When, where, why? Why, what, who, with? And not only that, you know, your whole life, like in order for me to have a job, my whole life has to revolve around a job. Yeah. And that makes it very difficult at times because my whole life has to revolve around the job. It's like, it affects my ability to how I parent. It affects everything I do in life. Exactly. You know, so I think that sometimes we need to just also be um, gentle with ourselves to a, yeah. to a point. We need to understand that we can't um, take. I saw, so, I saw a video know, the other day. You've got a messy house. You've got a messy house because you've, you've had a, and a rough day you've had a rough day at work you can't you can barely function so you've got to function on what you've got and plan your plan accordingly this doesn't matter how what where when and the other part is is not everything when i saw a video the other day where i am I was really struck by what this person was talking about because what they were talking about, and, and I think this was on TikTok, but what this person was talking about is how they're a therapist who is neurodivergent and who primarily treats neurodivergent people and specialists in neurodivergent trauma or something like that. And they were talking about how often we sit there and we take our best day and we measure our goal of productivity with the best day. We expect, always expect, ourselves to meet up to that exceptional day that maybe that day we had a really really good day yeah but exactly. then we beat ourselves up if we don't uh, we don't reach that we strive we, to attain we, we the best be we ever had we strive to normalcy and what is normalcy again uh-huh and I think sometimes we really need to remember, like my my thing to the listeners and the people who can relate to this conversation, what I would like to leave all of you with is that you 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 get to be, you know, sometimes on a day, you get to be somebody who maybe has a day that it is hard and you yeah. you don't measure up to your exceptional day. All yes. the time. Like your exceptional day isn't necessarily, is it an attainable goal? Yeah, you've got to make sure that your goals are realistic Yeah, for you. Um, do you have anything you would say to the listeners and people that relate to this? Take a day at a time. Take it an hour at a time, a second at a time. Whatever you can do each time, it doesn't matter. Just keep going because you will get there no matter what. It doesn't, you just, it, n nothing's a race. 
you know, it's your stay in your own lane. As there's so many books saying, stay in your like your own lane. Don't focus on other people around you. Don't get on with what you need to do for you. Because if you don't, it won't prove. You know, you no one else can actually show you what you can do. Only you can show you what you can do. Thank you, Lizzie. It's been an honor having you as a guest. You're welcome. Thank you for speaking so openly. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners. And Absolutely. as always, everybody who commented, thank you so much for sharing. I'll have to go back and read through the comments because there's quite a few on there. I appreciate you. And thank you to our Patreon subscribers for helping us bring you this. With that being said, I hope you all have a great and wonderful Sunday.